0: creepy gente. Bienvenidos. Welcome back to another episode of Creepy Man. Ooh, do I have a spooky one today, y'all. Grab your rosarios, grab your crystals, grab anything and protect yourself. Let's say it together. I do not accept any negative energy from this episode. I do not accept any negative energy from this story. Say it with me, y'all. Anyway, Bienvenidos! I am so tired. (laughs) I enjoyed my three-day weekend, but man, it took the life out of me. (laughs) And it it shouldn't have. And I didn't do anything yesterday. Like, it just didn't do anything. Yes, I'm recording late. I'm recording this the day before I post it out. Hopefully I get this edited in time tonight. I spent a lot of time on this story um, because there's a lot of information and I'm going to try to give you what you need to know, what I think you need to know, because let me explain something. This case is well known. There's many TV shows about it. There are many stories about it, many YouTube videos, many books. I was going to say stories, but books about this. And yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you haven't looked at the title of this episode. (laughs) I'm talking about the Bel Air House. Now I've heard the Bel Air House and I think I've seen it like on a paranormal, a paranormal show. So I kind of knew about it. I kind of knew a little bit about the hauntings, but I didn't know all of it, you know. Because this story, if you go way back, way back. It gives you a little little bit better understanding. So here we go, here we go. So we are going to talk about the Bel Air House. Now the Bel Air House is named the Bel Air House because it's from Bel Air, Ohio, which I had to look up, not gonna lie. (laughs) I really did, I had to look it up. And it's really close to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So it's like on the edge of Ohio pretty much. Now the home, it's beautiful. It is approximately 2,500 square feet and sits on an acre of land. So yeah, big home. It was built in the early 1900s by a coal miner and his name was Jacob Heatherington. Now you'll hear that name a lot in the next few uh, minutes because the Heatherington family is the start of this home. Now, I will come back in a second to Jacob Hetherington. Now, from the outside of the home, it looks just like a normal house, right? Nothing special. Doesn't look creepy or gothic or, you know, what you think a haunted house would look like. It's just normal. But that's pretty much what most haunted houses look like. They're just normal homes. Well, the home is said to be so haunted that it has been labeled by the village of Bel-Air as the most haunted home Ever. And some agree Before we get into the home's history though Let's talk about the land Now remember this Because my theory Is that I think the land is haunted Not just the house So here we go Let's go back to the early 1700s So before the arrival of white settlers Several native tribes lived on this land including the Mingo, Shawnee, and Delaware. Now, we all know what really happened to the natives, even though history lied to us as children. They were forced out by treaties that were created in the 1700s. Now, natives had very special burial techniques, and in this case, burial caves, which sat just under and behind the property. Those caves were specifically made for the tribe's chiefs and shaman. So people that were higher in the hierarchy of their tribe. Now in this specific area, I did find that the natives liked to practice magic because da, 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 the area that specific land had high energy. So, it already had that high energy before the home was built. So, just keep that in mind. Now, many settlers lived on this land after the povera natives were forced away. But it wasn't until 1834 when John Rotifer and Jacob Davis purchased the village. At that time, it was six acres of land and they named it Bell Air. Two words, Bell Air. And that was after one of their former homes in Maryland. So now more settlers are coming in and they're purchasing lots and the village just sort of grew rather quickly. It was the perfect spot too because it was near the Ohio River and then eventually the Central Ohio Railway was also built near there too. So once the railroad was built, the town grew like insanely quick. Now fun fact about the town of Bel Air... In the movie Silence of the Lambs, the Bel Air Bridge was filmed during one of the scenes. I found that and it was pretty cool because <laughs> I love that movie. Now the Bel Air home was built right over a coal mine. Remember I said that Jacob Hetherington was a coal miner. But he wasn't just a coal miner. Now, he was a wealthy man who owned the coal mines in that area. Now, some say that it was Hetherington's underground digging that disturbed those ancient burial caves and started the home's hauntings. Unfortunately, Jacob passed away and left the home to his daughter Lide and his son Edwin. So they both lived in the home. Shortly after, Lyde, his daughter, died in the home, suddenly leaving her brother Edwin completely devastated. I mean, it ruined him mentally, and so he became obsessed with contacting his dead sister. So he turned to spiritualism, and he began using mediums in the home to try and talk to his sister. That was a big thing, like, in the 1900s, people having, like, sands parties, right? (laughs) Um, So he was really into that, and he wanted to learn about it and do it on his own, Now this is one of the theories on why the home is so haunted. Some think that Edwin and his infatuation with seances opened portals that they could not close. Or that something evil came through one of these portals and stood behind. Now we all know that if you're going to sit there and play with the Ouija board or conduct your little seance, if you know how to open the realm, you need to learn how to close the realm. So that's why I don't mess with Ouija boards. (laughs) I've never played and I never will. That was something my mother was like, so like, don't you dare ever. And I remember one time I went to my friend's house. I was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine. And I was sleeping over and to get to her room, you had to go up these stairs. And I remember on the stairs were a bunch of board games, including the Ouija board and I I did not sleep well that night because I was just terrified of the game even being in the home. <laughs> yeah, so that's how afraid I was of the Ouija board. I don't mess with that stuff. I probably would never do seances either. Which is funny because I'm not really religious. But I also don't, uh, like I don't mess with that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? My uh, friend Regina is always like, oh, let's go get our palms red. Or let's go get our... You know, tarot cards. And I'm like, you know, I would have loved to learn tarot, but also, like, I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm just a big chicken. (laughs) Anyway, so another theory is that some think the home is haunted because the home sits on a ley line. Now, I had to look up a ley line because I didn't really know what it was. So a ley line is a center of energy that crosses the earth that marks the earth's energy and and it goes around the globe. Yeah, I know, well, let me explain. I had to look it up, like I told you, and this is what I found, and hopefully you get a better understanding of what a ley line is. In 1921, an archeologist, Alfred Watkins, made a discovery. He started to notice that ancient sites fell into sort of an alignment around the world, most of the time in straight line patterns, So these lines crisscross around the globe and they are dotted with monuments and natural landforms and they also carry along with them rivers of supernatural energy. At places where the lines intersect, certain individuals can harness energy there. People who are spiritualists or part of the occult believe in these ley lines, but others say it's basura. Now, think about it. Remember the Native Americans felt high energy, and guess what? Where the home sits is like a huge intersection of different ley lines. So it's like right smack dab on top of where a bunch of these ley lines intersect. Hmm, now I am a believer in energy, but I never knew that these lines existed. And there are maps of ley lines, you can look them up online. But not everybody agrees. Some people are like, eh. It's just... Now, something that I forgot to mention about Jacob Hetherington that I thought was really cool was that he was a successful businessman. Now, remember I told you he owned all those coal mines. And it was said that he owned over 667 acres of land, including farmland and, of course, the mines. He also owned... 110 acres of woodland, and was one of the largest taxpayers in Belmont County. Well, of course, with all that land, you got to pay taxes, you know? Now, the reason they mentioned that he owned all this land and property is because he, along with Jacob Davis, one of the founders of the Bel Air Village, were abolitionists. Together, they worked with Reverend Truman of the Bel Air United Methodist Church to help free runaway slaves. Keep this in mind for later. Now, this is another theory. But in 1893, coal mine number one blew up and many men were trapped inside and some were burned and it was a a disaster. But guess which mine the Bel Air house sits on top of? Yep. Coal mine number one. So that's another theory. Another theory is the Ohio River is right in front of the home. Like you walk out the front door and it's right there across the street. Now according to physics, water acts as a portal because it's always moving and the magnetic pool creates a strong energy where spirits can easily cut through earthbound gravity. It's an easy way for them to travel from the spirit world to ours. Another thing I want to say about the land is that in 1754, the land was the site to the French-Indian War. Pretty much, the French-Indian War was a giant massacre of natives by the hands of French soldiers, and the harsh energy left in the soil that day can still be felt today which again can be why they felt so much energy on that land. And the last thing I want to mention about the land might explain why the natives chose this spot. If you look up at the night sky from the Bellar home, you can see a planetary alignment of Mars, Saturn, Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter. And you can also see clearly a lot of constellations right above the home. So that was something the natives also probably noticed were those alignments of the stars. Now put all these things together, And now we understand the supercharged energy coming from literally everywhere. (laughs) The ground, under the house, the river, and now the sky. We mentioned the Ohio River, which could possibly be a portal, but it definitely creates energy. We have the past history involving the natives and their mistreatment and genocide. We also talked about slavery and how they were taken or passed through the area to freedom. I can guarantee, though... They were still mistreated and murdered on the land as well. We have the coal miner catastrophe that killed many. We mentioned the ley lines and the planet alignment over the home. Strong energy there. And then the death of Lyde Hetherington in this home. So let's talk about what's happening inside the home. So Edwin has dove into the occult, right? His sister passed away, he's distraught. He wants to talk to her. But this could be a prime example Of why you don't mess around with spirits. Now Edwin passed away in 1962. After he passed a lot of different families moved in and out of the home and nobody really stuck around for too long. Now this was because the home was said to have a strange activity in it but it wasn't until the home sat abandoned for a while that people in the town of Bel Air realized something was not right. People passing by would see figures standing in the windows Strange noises coming from inside. A lot of people were really quick to blame it on the trespassers, but that would soon change. After many years, in 2005, a woman by the name of Kristen Lee purchased the foreclosed home. She was excited after having lost her home to a flood. It was too good to be true, right? For only $46,000, she bought a beautiful and spacious home for her family. The home wasted no time in proving to Kristen and her family, though, why it had been empty for so long. So in the home immediately, as like as soon as they moved in, they would hear voices and footsteps throughout the entire home. Their belongings would disappear. But the real start, though, that scared Kristen was one night Kristen was laying on her couch in the living room and she woke up to a man standing right in front of her. She was frozen with fear, but asked what he wanted and she watched the man walk away and vanish right before her eyes. I watched a few interviews of Kristen explaining what she saw that night and she described the man as having really no face. But he also had, like, a strange look to him. He, she could see, he was hazy, I guess I could say. He was hazy, like, she couldn't see right through him, but she also, like, he wasn't solid, you know, like, she could still see a little. And he just walked away and vanished, like, right in front of her. (laughs) You know how sometimes people be like, oh, I saw somebody walk past me into the next room or into the wall? No, this dude just like disappeared right in front of her. Crazy. Now, she was completely terrified and in shock. She thought she was dreaming at first, but the living room was super cold. I mean, so cold that she could even see her breath when she was breathing. So that's a sign that there is a spirit near. You get that cold feeling. Now she figured it was stress because what we don't know, well, what you don't know is that Kristen Lee is a psychologist and of course she definitely was also a skeptic before all of this so she didn't want to say, oh my gosh, I saw a ghost. Instead, she was like, I must be very stressed and I'm hallucinating Um, due to losing her home in the flood and then moving and all of that. I, I I mean I could I could see that it's a stressful time, so she's just like, "Alright, I'm just stressed. I'm going to let it go." But it's still something that she couldn't explain. And later, after more experiences in the home, she finally realizes that no, it's not stress. Like something is really happening here. Now, like I said, she was a skeptic before moving into the Air home. But later, she does become a believer. Now, one occasion that opened her eyes and made her say, all right, we're done, (laughs) we're getting out of here, involved the family dog. And Kristen, I 100% don't touch my baby. Do not touch my baby because I'm out. (laughs) She and her dog were home alone and she was sleeping and woke up in a state of paralysis, which if you've never experienced is terrifying. Fying it's terrifying. So she saw this dark mass float towards her, and her dog who was on the bed with her, started barking at this mass and stood on Kristen almost like protecting her, poor baby. But then the dog was lifted and thrown with great force right into the bedroom wall. The dog was very disturbed in the home, um, barking at things that are not there, scratching like on the walls, on the doors, just completely bothered by something. Now, Kristen says that in the home, there is something dark and evil. Kristen named a child ghost in the home, Emily Davis. Now, she did some research to see if, in fact, an Emily Davis ever lived in the home. What she found was no evidence. However, it is very common, as we all know, For demons to present themselves as something to divert one into thinking that they are welcoming, right? But then all they welcome to is to steal your soul, y'all. Come on. So you see a little girl, you're like, oh, well, I would be terrified, right? Because I've told you guys before, little kid ghosts. uh-uh, I don't play with that. Literally. (laughs) But like you, most people would be like, oh, a child. Oh, how cute. Like, oh, she's, you know, stealing my necklace. Oh, little Emily put it back. And then, you know, she never puts it back because she's evil, you know. So, yes, that would be a great disguise for a demon. Especially when I tell you some news later. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm going to go by my show notes. So let me tell you a little about this Emily, right, who if you watch like, um, like on YouTube, I've watched a few videos of paranormal teams that go to the home and Kristen, you know, she partakes because she's into that stuff now, but she'll say like, oh, this is the place where Emily, the little girl or whatever she is, like they don't want to say it's a little girl. Because she's seen some stuff, you know, and I believe her. She lived in the home. So Emily hides in the attic. Now, most contact with her is in the attic as well. Kristen says in the attic, you get the most horrid feeling, like a negative feeling. But there's also a spirit of a young boy in the attic. Now, in her research, she did find evidence that a boy jumped out of the attic window and died. But she thinks he was pushed because a lot of people have been pushed. And for some reason in the attic, the windows that are sitting in the attic, they're boarded up now because many who visit the home feel a strong urge to go towards the window and then... The negative energy, the negative thoughts, put two and two together, yeah. (laughs) Um, Some people have even had the urge to jump out of the window. So yes, Kristen has had to board those windows up now. But you still feel a very negative, cold feeling in the attic. If it were truly a child ghost, I don't think you would feel that, do you know what I mean? Now the home overall made Kristen and her family feel very oppressed, violent, very negative, depressed. Now some who enter the home today say they feel those same exact things almost immediately upon entering. Now eventually it just became way too much and Kristen went to rent another apartment. She could no longer take it with the things happening all the time and becoming more violent. But the home was still hers. Now, she tried to rent it out a few times, which somebody mentioned, like, why would she do that? If you got a home to pay for, it ain't going to pay itself if it's just sitting there. So, I, I totally understand why she's trying to rent it out. And, you know, maybe she's thinking, maybe it's me. Like, maybe it's my family. Oh, one thing I didn't mention is while her family lives in the home. Now, I know she has a son. I think she has a daughter. They're older kids. Like, they were older but they lived in the home with her, and in the end, they didn't really like being home. She said they were never really home. It was just her and her dog most of the time. But she said that her family, while living in the home, they all had, like, really bad luck. Like, they were couldn't keep jobs, like, stuff like that. Like, just really bad luck. Um, and that changed when they moved out. So, yeah, so she tried to rent it out a few times, but the renters would come. And then they would go like right away and she knew, but there were this one family who they moved in and they left and they left all their shit in the house, like, and didn't even tell her anything. They were just like, we're gone. And it was like, they didn't even wait till the end of the month, yo. They were just like, we're out. And when she asked, like, did something happen? Did, and they were like, nothing. They didn't want to talk about it. Nope. Nope. And when she went into the home in the main bedroom, which a lot of activity happens and that's where she saw the black mass when she was with her dog, the fan, the owners or the renters had taken the fan blades off and it just was something, she was just like, hmm, like what happened? But yeah, so that family left all their shit. (laughs) So... It's not just one family. It's everybody who goes into this house experiences something or feels something. So after realizing that it's not going to work, no one's going to stay here long enough to rent and give her money, she then tried to sell the home to the village of Bel Air for $1. And they refused to buy it. Now remember, she only purchased this home for $46,000. That's chump change to a city right like okay i'd buy it you know but the thing is at this point and from the past everybody knows the chisme and we love chisme here at creepy chisme so everyone's talking and even this city is like hell no i'm not buying your house now when you say they're buying it for a dollar they still have to take over the mortgage so it was probably still about 30000 she owed on it because they didn't live there very long. But they refused and the locals, they knew about the home, so none of them wanted it. <laughs> so she was pretty much screwed. So in the end, Kristen came up with this genius plan, which it really is genius. She decided since the home was so high energy and lots of shit was happening there, She would host it to paranormal teams to come investigate. Now hoping that maybe they can figure out what's happening here or possibly help solve who's in the home. But also, I'm sure there is some sort of fee that also helps pay for the home itself. So it's a win-win situation, right? They get their research and she gets her money. Doesn't have to worry about the house. Now, those that have gone to investigate the home have found lots of evidence and experienced activity, some even very violent activity. On one occasion, a crew member was carrying like a box of equipment down the stairs of the home when he said he felt something tug on his shirt. Now, it was a very hard tug because it threw him off balance and he stumbled and his arm went through the second story window. He did not fall through the window but he injured himself pretty badly. Other things like mysterious shadows, unexplained footsteps, phantom voices caught on video, doors that open and shut on their own. Some even said that the home is so haunted that it has now spread to the neighboring homes that now also sit abandoned. But that could possibly be the land in general, you know? Like my theory, the land is haunted. If the land is haunted, then all those homes are experiencing something, you know? The other thing uh, investigators came upon was the little girl Emily, the slave girl that lives in the home. But they find her to be very friendly. Um, people bring her toys, roll the ball before, stuff like that. So that's the good Emily. The evil bitch lives up in the attic, remember? There are... Ooh, a spider dizzle. What the hell? Okay. <laughs> What is up with these bugs dude? Okay, so I get attacked by a cicada the other day (laughs) I'm over here concentrating (laughs) I'm over here concentrating so hard on my notes and this little damn spider just falls right in front of my freaking face. I Can't I can't so yeah, I get attacked by cicadas the other day if you heard my last freaky Friday and then when I got out of work today and I get in my car, in my car that had been sitting there for five hours, six hours while I'm in the building at school, I get in my car, shut the door and I'm like talking to my friend on the other side and I'm like, oh, there's a big wasp on the window. And then I realized the wasp is in my car on the window. So I like freaked out and then I like open my door. Thank goodness to my friend, Nora, shout out, Nora, you saved my life today. I hate wasps like I don't play with them just like I don't play with the Ouija yo. (laughs) Sorry. Just got so mad like I'm over here concentrating that little spider just pops out right in front of my face. Anyway, sorry. But yes, a lot of uh, investigators have made contact with um, Native American chiefs that have presented in the home. Which I mean, come on, you freaking disturb their damn resting place. Of course. And then one medium, this is the craziest information I found, but one medium that visited the home said she counted 11 portals in the home. 11. 11 portals. That's why there's so much damn traffic going through the home because all these spirits are just zip-zapping through all the portals. I don't know. (laughs) It's crazy. And that's probably the damn Edwin Heatherington Who opened all the damn portals and never closed them. Do you see what's happening here, people? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, (laughs) sorry. It just makes me angry. It it just makes me angry because it's like, yeah, the energy here might have been strong to begin with. But it could have been used for something good, just like the natives were using it, right? And uh, damn settlers ruin everything, you know? Now, Kristen found some info. But I didn't know if I wanted to mention it only because it can't really be sourced. And she even mentions that. Like, if you look this up, you're not going to find it. So, after watching a few videos with Kristen, I think she's definitely, hmm, you know, upping the game a little. You know, making it. I mean, because, like, I'll tell you guys later. Like, she wrote books. She, you know, of course, she wants people to come investigate the home, you know. So, I kind of don't. Uh, trust Kristen, but even though this information cannot be sourced according to her, I am going to read it only because if it is true, then my theory of the land being haunted may actually be true. All right, so let me tell you what she said. In 2008-2012, I conducted research with a team of paranormal investigators, including OVPRI, Kentucky Ghost Scouts, and Eyes of the Paranormal. That research revealed that when Jacob Hetherington, who was a millionaire and used to run the city, died, he left the coal mine company to his son, Alex Hetherington, who was assisted by his daughter Lyde. Now, nowhere else did I hear about an Alex Hetherington, okay? I only heard of Lyde and Edwin, so this was new to me. Unfortunately, the business started to fail due to Alex hearing and seeing things that were not there. He also began to have epileptic seizures and declared that demons were trying to kill him. Now back then, people believed that he was haunted and cursed because of the coal mine explosions. But with psychology, we now know that his failures were not only the disorientation of his sanity, but he had become possessed by the delusional energies that overtook his mind, body, and spirit. Still today, those energies overtake paranormal investigators and researchers. The commitment papers in the story of Alex are not public, so there's no way for anyone to know that information to where it would become psychologically suggestive. Which, I guess now that I'm reading this again, I understand because we know how they used to treat people who were mentally sick, you know? They shoved them in a home and nobody talked about them. So I can see why he has been left out and only lied and Edwin are mentioned. Especially when he's acting a fool like this, you know? Now, Alex Hetherington was incompetent and locked up in a lunatic asylum. There you go. Shortly after the commitment of Alex, his daughter... So, okay, wait. I'm not sure if you're getting the same information I'm getting. So when I first read this, I assumed Alex was a sibling of Lyde and Edwin. The more I'm reading into this, he's actually the father. So Jacob Hetherington was actually their grandfather. And Alex was his son, who he left everything to. So when Alex was found incap- incompetent and locked up, his daughter Lyde took over the entire coal company and property, along with Edwin. A few years later, Lyde also tragically died in the dining room of the Bel Air house. Her brother Edwin never gave up on grieving the loss of his sister. And this is where I told you guys he became obsessed with, you know trying to contact his sister. So let me finish telling you what she says, what Kristen says. Now, after Edwin left the military in the 1900s, he moved into the Belair house to be close to his sister. When she died, he became distraught and obsessed with contacting her through any medium possible. He became so fascinated with the afterlife and started studying the occult and the art of communicating through different mediums. What he wanted was to strengthen his own psychic ability. Unfortunately, not a lot of the seers had true gifts of psychic medium talents. They saw Edwin as a cash cow, and with him being so distraught, they took advantage of him and they took his money. Now because Edwin was so depressed and distraught, he then became oppressed, and then possessed. He dove into the occult and was not properly trained on how to close those portals, and God only knows what happened to that man when he lived in that home alone. So he actually lived in the house alone. So he definitely had to be driven insane. Now in the process, researchers believe Edwin unknowingly opened the portals to the other side all over the Beller house. According to paranormal investigators, there are more than 11 portals throughout the house. And I mentioned this earlier. Now many have tried to close these portals, but the portals refuse to stay closed. Now, Edwin and Lyd, when they lived in the home, were also known to have servants. Mostly all of them were named Mary. There was one particular Mary that had a child inside of the Bellar house, and it was rumored that the child had the bloodline that was needed to allow an entity inside of the Bellar house to grow stronger. To do Lyd's bidding. There are village rumors that a servant's child was lured to the attic and plunged to his death out of the window. The funny thing that I cannot put my finger on is that neither Lyde nor Edwin ever got married. There were rumors Lyde kept a servant named Mary as her lover, and when Mary became pregnant, that's when she lured the child and plunged them out the window. After Lyde's death, Edwin's remaining family members tried to steal the house from him, and they did succeed. That's when the ownership of the Belair house left the Hetherington family's hands. Kristen also says that a person named Rebecca Gardner, who was a colleague of hers, found a few handwritten commitments that stated the reason why Alex Hetherington was sent to a mental asylum and what drove him insane in the first place. The reason was the failure of his business. In the papers, it was written that Alex lost the use of his manners and became non-compos mentis, which means not of sound mind or mentally incapable of managing affairs. I've read in articles that Alex would be on the Ohio River thinking that he was on a boat headed towards Wellsburg. He would be disoriented while roaming around the railroad tracks. He was even unable to identify who he was. We also came across a psychologist's advice to send Alex to a mental asylum. The commitment paper stated that the business relations worried Alex and that's what troubled his domestic relations. Upon further research, we found that Alex was suffering from partial paralysis of his body, which made him stammer. By the time the symptoms of hemiplegia subsided, other brain problems had surfaced, keeping in view his mental instability. Judge Isaac Gaston, the probate judge, ordered Alex to be sent to the Athens Asylum for the Insane in Athens, Ohio. Now, in March 1940, there was another explosion in the mines. This time, it was coal mine number two, which was commonly referred to as Willow Grove Mine at the time. It was about 20 minutes from the Bel Air home. The explosion trapped over 180 men in the mine and took the lives of at least half. Also, it left more than a hundred men burned and severely wounded. Although many members of the community tried to rescue the trapped men, only a few men could be saved. It is said that the rescue attempt continued for several days to no avail. This explosion at coal mine number two further contributed to the haunting of the Beller house. Many blessings, Kristen Lee. So that is coming straight from Kristen Lee, the woman who lived in the home. That was information, again, that she claims she found but we can't really source it it's a lot of information but like i said there's tons of information on this case everywhere you look i just thought it was worth mentioning because it did help me realize like even as far back as the heatheringtons before lide died like her father went crazy so maybe the land was haunted do you know what i'm saying i don't know I really don't know what to think. Now, Kristen, like I said, no longer lives in the home, but she does allow those paranormal teams to go investigate. Now, there is a rumor that I read a couple places online that the Bellar house is going to be turned into a bed and breakfast. So if you're brave enough to stay there overnight, then go ahead, go for it. But don't ask me to come. <laughs> but you can send me your experience. Now, like I said, Kristen did go on to write two books. The first one is called 1699 Belmont Street, A Portal to Hell, which talks about her experience in living in the home. She then went on to write Paranormal Confessions. It's about all the different researchers, haunting experiences in the home, including Kristen and her families. They both sound like a really good book, something I'd be interested in reading. I did not read them yet. They're really good. Maybe I'll do an episode on them, but they sound really good. So... If you're into that kind of thing and you want to learn more about the hauntings in the home, go ahead and read those books. (laughs) So yeah, that is the Beller home. Pretty haunted, so (laughs) I don't think I'd ever go. Maybe I'd go like look on the outside. But then again, it's like way out of the way. Nowhere near anywhere. It's been a while since I've done a case that I really had to dig into the research for. But again, this is something I love doing. You know, some people hate writing, some people hate, you know, looking up research. But I quite enjoy it, especially when it's something I really enjoy. This episode did go a little longer than I wanted. And like I said, stay tuned for those listener stories. They're gonna be good. Oh, I wanted to tell you that I ended up liking the shirts. I want to change um, one thing on them. And I'm thinking of maybe making another one, but I don't know. We'll see. And a few of you did reach out and say you want one. So let me get the pricing together, find out how much it'll be with the shipping and handling. And we'll go from there. So keep an eye out for those shirts. They'll be coming soon, I promise. I really liked them. The shirt quality was really nice and they fit like a glove. So nice. Um, For my big girls out there. Order your true size, they're pretty good. We've made it to the month of September and you guys don't even know like how inspired I am. I love the fall, I love the spooky season. I love it, love it, love it. So I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm thinking of a lot of ideas, but <laughs> let me just jot them in a notebook and not shout them out yet. It's too soon, I'm just excited because I love spooky season and I've got all these ideas, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> anyway, don't forget, If you liked this episode and you love spooky stories like this, make sure to like, comment, and add me to your podcast playlist because then you'll get notified every time I post. Also, it doesn't take you more than two minutes to just leave me a review. The more reviews I get, the more people I'll be branched out to. Those of you who already left reviews, I've read them, love it. Thank you so much. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook groups, everywhere. I'm everywhere, y'all. And if you want to get your listener story in in time for me to tell it on my listener special, don't forget to email me at creepychismeth4u. That's the number 4-Y-O-U at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in next week with my special guest. Guest, that's plural. <laughs> And don't forget to tune in Friday for Freaky Friday. Make sure to share this episode with somebody who would love it. Or if you loved it, just share it out on social media. It's just a click away. It was fun, y'all. Gracias por escuchar. Y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, stay creepy.